Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Corey Emanuel, and you are now listening to Tough Talks. Good evening. My name is Kish Edwards-Gainsey, and I'm the co-founder of World Explorers Group, and I'm so excited to welcome you back again for another Tough Talk Tuesday, where this evening we're going to be discussing weight and body image with Dr. Corey Emanuel. This topic is so important. Um, I know that we struggle with this as a society, really. This topic is heavy, and it um, and it is so important that we get this topic in particular right for our children as they learn to love their physical selves, as they learn to have healthy self-perception. So I want to, um, because this topic is so important and I know we, we have to dig in there, Dr. Corey, I know that you've prepared um, a, a wealth of information for us as we discuss this topic. So we're gonna dig right in and I'll come back a little later for questions. So Dr. Corey, please have your way. As you already know, um, our topic for tonight is really how to talk to your kids about body shaming and eating disorders. Uh, we're going to spend the bulk of our time really talking about those two words, eating disorders. Um, and at the end, we will also talk about some body shaming as well. Um, so let's go ahead and jump right in. I wanted to start by making this be as real as possible, relating to many of you, whether it's parents or you know, guardians or you know, you're just here because there is someone that maybe you have some concern about. I wanted you to see just briefly some stories that you know, other folks are dealing with right now. So the first example we have here is Sherry. Sherry is frantic that her daughter refuses to eat anything except noodles with butter and doesn't seem to be growing taller. That might sound familiar. Uh, David is distraught over how his son has been more and more withdrawn, eating less and less, and losing more and more weight. And then finally, we have Erica. Um, she talks about how she desperately wants to lose weight, but can't seem to stop herself from binging on any food she can find. Um, so again, we're looking across the spectrum tonight. Um, you might be a parent or guardian of someone, a child who you know, isn't eating um, very much or very little, um, but you also may be the parent or guardian, guardian of someone who's doing overeating or binge eating. And so I want you to know tonight that you're not alone. Um, there are many, many parents dealing with this. Um, perhaps um, weight loss and, and the, the whole fitness journey has been a struggle for you. And you're really here to really gain insights to help your child perhaps not deal with weight loss and, this, and have such a difficult journey. Um, and that is why we're here tonight to really help and support you as we go down this path. So as, if you've been to my talks before, you know, I always like to begin with sort of what do we know? What does the research talk about? What studies have been done that really support this topic? So first things first, um, anorexia nervosa, um, which we obviously refer to it most as anorexia, is the third most chronic illness among adolescents. That's after obesity and asthma. So again, when we talk about eating disorders, um, we're not just talking about those who aren't eating or eating very little. We're also talking about those who are overeating or binge eating. Um, we know that between 20 million women and 10 million men, uh, on some level, you're going to probably have an eating disorder or struggle um, with your, your eating and your diet and lifestyle over the course of your life. That's a, a lot of people, as we know. Um, between 40 and 60% of elementary school girls, so those girls that are ages 6 to 12, are concerned about their weight or about becoming too fat. We know that up to 60% of female teens diet regularly. So they're already in those adolescent teenage years thinking about this, perhaps already struggling with this. And then finally, we found out a few years ago that an estimated 337 million children and adolescents between ages five and 19 were overweight or obese. So again, we're having this conversation tonight because it's a very real issue that millions of children and parents are dealing with. Um, as a media psychology, you may be wondering what stake I have in this topic. 
Um, well, there's a little thing called social media um, that I, I happen to study and research a lot. And we do know that there is an association between the frequency of comparing one's own physical appearance to that of people followed on social media. And these two things, body dissatisfaction and drive for thinness. Those are really two phenomenons um, as we think about psychology and we think about social media. Also, the widespread use of social media in teenagers and young adults could increase body dissatisfaction as well as their drive for thinness. Um, so we know that this is an area of vulnerability um, for our kids, for our youth with the frequency in which they're using social media. So to answer that original question, I am very much invested in this topic. I work a lot with youth, have been for the past, gosh, 10, 15 years. Um, and I know that as, as we continue to use technology, this issue is only going to be more and more prevalent. We've got to do some unpacking of some terms. Um, again, that word or those two words, eating disorder, are very common. And so we need to talk a little bit about what that looks like, what that means. So when we talk about an eating disorder, we're talking about abnormal eating habits that can threaten your health or even your life, all right? Specifically for this talk, and really in general, there are gonna be sort of three layers to this. The first one, which we've already talked about briefly, is that of anorexia nervosa. That is individuals, people who believe they're fat, even when they're dangerously thin, um, and restrict their eating to the point of starvation. We also talk a lot about, when we talk about eating disorders, bulimia nervosa, which is an individual's eat excessive, excessive amounts of food, then purge by making themselves vomit or even use laxatives. And then finally, binge eating, which we know often leads to obesity. Um, individuals have out of control eating patterns, but don't purge. Okay, so those are really our three focal points when we talk about an eating disorder. All right, so now the big question that most people have um, is what causes an eating disorder, right? It's not something that just boom happens, is it? Well, we do know from research that there is what we call a predisposition when it comes to eating disorders. So I think there is sort of a misconception sometimes that, oh, if one of the parents might have struggled with anorexia or even binge eating that, you know, they make sense that now the child is, right? But it's very rare that it's that straightforward. You know, as we think about genetics uh, of just one parent passing, there's something we call genetic transmission where it, it's a combination of factors from possibly multiple family members, right? So just keep that in mind when we think about predisposition. Also up under this umbrella of predisposition is personality, right? So when we think about people who might be dealing with anorexia, um, the research shows us folks that deal with anorexia tend to have somewhat of a conscientious, perfectionist or rigid personality. So we think about the student who, you know, is insistent on getting all A's, um, being the perfect student, you know, always being in school on time, there have been some associations between that and anorexia, because again, that rigid perfectionist personality, wanting to appear and be perfect um, is part of a personality type. On a bigger um, scale, we know that there are a number of biological factors that can cause an eating dis disorder. So some of these may be very, very familiar to some of you. So one, if you've got something going on with your, di your digestive system, so meaning that food just doesn't pass through your body very quickly, right? That could obviously cause excess weight or, you know, this sort of uh, self-hatred about your body because you can't digest your food. Um, in the way that the body should. Um, we also know that we have to look at hormones. That's a huge one, particularly um, with, with women who might deal with anorexia or bulimia um, or obesity. Um, there could be a deficiency in some vital nutrient um, that, that should be going to the body to help keep you regulated. And then also it could be something neuro neurological, so brain um, that is mis sending misleading messages to the body. So again, a number of biological factors could be in place to cause an eating disorder.
All right, so the question that I'm sure most folks probably came to this, this call tonight with is how do I know if my child has an eating disorder? Well, first and foremost, any psychologist, psychiatrist will tell you that when you're talking about youth, when you're talking about adolescents, there is a wide range of eating, eating patterns in childhood and adolescence that are completely normal. Um, so we know that sometimes as parent, parents and guardians, we can tend to maybe overact a little bit and feel like, well, I wasn't doing that or eating that way when I was their, their age. But just keep this in mind, only eating a narrow range of foods for our, our little ones very, very normal, you know, where they only want the chicken nuggets and fries. You know it, you've been there, you've experienced it. Perhaps they only eat a small amount, you know, just a spoonful of those green beans or a spoonful of those carrots. Um, that's completely normal. Also vast quantities of food. I often think about my uh, younger brother, He's 15 years younger than me, but I remember him in high school playing sports. My dad and stepmom would get so frustrated with him because he would go through half a loaf of bread, you know, after football practice. And they were like, oh, my God, what's going on? Again, completely normal. You know, we're, we're, we're developing. Our bodies are growing. So, you know, particularly our boys will tend to eat a lot of food. So just keep those things in mind. But what I do want you to be on the lookout for are some of these things. So an alteration in eating patterns or a persistent unusual pattern. If you've been to any of my previous, previous talks, this is such a blanketed thing for us as parents and guardians is we're looking for, you know, several weeks, even 30 days is sort of that window as a minimum of, of which you're looking at a pattern, right? We also know that the longer a change lasts, the more likely it is to be problematic, right? And then la lastly, you're gonna be looking for patterns to be accompanied by certain features. So secrecy, where you know they're saying they're eating, but like you're not seeing them eating, or maybe they're taking something to their room to eat, right? When you know we typically eat in front of each other or whatever. Uh, being irritable, unhappy, a self-dislike, and like I said, a little bit later, we'll get into the body shaming aspect of that, and just a persistent and logical behavior. You're looking for patterns of these various features. You know, if we uh, kind of switch up our clothes all of a sudden, and we're like, mm, you're, you're used to, you usually have like a certain fashion sense about you, but now you're like wearing super baggy clothes. Like, what could that be about, right? This isn't like a fashion movement on your part. Um, you know, increased interest in issues such as starvation in developing countries, right? There could be very much a, a community involvement piece of that where they want to get involved and volunteer like that. But if it becomes some of, somewhat of an obsession, that's what you want to be on the lookout for, right? Um, again, some of the other things like hiding food under the plate or table, um, you know, preference for eating alone. Those are the types of things you wanna kind of be on the lookout for. Let's get more into the talk, right? So here are just a few basic principles. Some things to hopefully uh, ease some of the anxiety that you have, some of the frustration that you have, is that no one chooses to have an eating disorder right? We might have some defiant children, some stubborn children, yes, but the, when it actually becomes an eating disorder with some of those uh, features that we just looked at and talked about, that is not a choice, right? There's something else going on. Again, the predisposition, genetics, biological, self-esteem even. Um, one thing to keep in mind is as we kind of get to the end of this talk tonight and you move forward with whether that's changes in your household or seeking a professional a practitioner or something like that, resistance to change is normal. You know, your, your children are going to probably push back, say that they don't have a problem, but we know at the root of that is fear and fear is a very real emotion. In anorexia and bulimia in particular, um, we have found that you know, poor self-esteem is usually an underlying issue there. So again, there may be some things going on outside of just eating habits. There could be something going on emotionally, 
psychologically. Prepare for a long, hard haul when it comes to dealing with an eating disorder, right? So there are going to be moments of frustration for you, your child, your entire family. But just knowing that it's going to be a long, hard haul can help reduce some of that frustration and disappointment. And then finally, you may need reinforcement, right? Um, nobody can do this parent, you know, guardian thing on their own. Um, I'll talk a little bit more in a moment about our village, but just know that you don't have to do this alone, that you shouldn't do this alone, and that you should involve other experts in this area. Do's and don'ts, again, uh, something that we do every one of our talks, um, again, talking about just basic principles here. So one of the things you want to do um, is avoid blaming your child, right? This is a very sensitive area. Um, we often kind of confuse motivation with ridicule. Um, so we just want to be careful with that when it comes to eating disorders. In that same or similar vein, don't lose sight of the healthy and good things about your child, right? You know, just because you might be struggling right now with, you know, how you feel about yourself, your weight and how you're eating doesn't mean that you aren't still caring, that you aren't still loving, that you don't still, you know, contribute in a positive way to our family life, um, you know, still perhaps doing well at school, keep sight of what they are doing that is really healthy. All right, now some do's. This is a little bit of a longer list. Um, I think you'll find that useful. Be understanding, right? You want to accept that your child may very well be in distress. Again, we think about some of those features we talked about, you know, the secrecy, eating alone. There's, there's a psychological disruption that's often taking place when a child is dealing with an eating, eating disorder. So be understanding of that. Going back to that village, I say this almost every talk. You want to involve those other family members that may be watching them, cooking for them, um, your doctor, your practitioner. Um, oftentimes, practitioners don't necessarily have the expertise to deal with a specific eating disorder. So they might refer you to a diet, a dietitian, um, a family therapist. Again, uh, one of the things I really want to make sure we're conscious of tonight is that sometimes there could be sexual trauma that you're not aware of. And that could also have an effect on your child not eating or eating too much. So again, you may find at the end of this talk tonight that you actually want to sit down with a counselor to see what's actually going on. You wanna adopt an approach that you and your child can use and stick with over time. And in just a moment, I'm gonna give you sort of a sample menu plan even. Um, that you can kind of pull from, but whatever you do, you want to be able to do it consistently. Um, also, taking responsibility for buying, cooking, and presenting the food, as well as trying to ensure that enough is eating. So, you know, there's a fine line of being sort of the food police, but also creating an environment that is healthy, that there are healthy food options, right? You want to be taking responsibility for that. Now with that, here's that sample meal plan. So here's an example of a, a real child, a real family that was really trying to, you know, get over this hump of this, this eating order or eating disorder challenge. So, you know, they, they broke it up into days of the week. Uh, they broke it up into length of time of that meal, where the meal is eating, who's presenting it. Um, one of the things about, you know, children who deal with an eating disorder, you as a parent don't necessarily have to drive that entire ship. You know, you want to be giving them freedom of choice. You want to be allowing them to still choose things that they enjoy eating, just healthier things, right? Um, and then also, of course, who's in charge of that particular meal. So again, just to give you an idea of what other families are doing when it comes to really handling the challenge of an eating disorder. So some conversation starters, right? And just some general good habits you want to have. Um, when you're having conversations with your child about whatever they might be dealing with, you, you want to use I statements. So, you know, you're making observations, obviously. Maybe you're thinking about some of those features, some of those things we talked about previously. You know, you can lead that conversation with, I feel like something's bothering you. You know, and that's kind of very open-ended, very light. 
you know, and yes, they might say yes, actually this, or they might say no, but you at least extended, you know, I've made an observation that something may be off. So we sort of extend that olive branch, if you will, if they want to talk about what's going on. Um, you could also say, I noticed you aren't eating much at dinner. Is everything okay? Again, a very soft, gentle way to approach the conversation. But again, just general good habits, listening, right? Resisting that urge to jump in and say, you know, well, you know, when I was 12 or whatever, blah, 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 blah. You want to listen to them. And then when it fits, when it aligns, you can assert your own personal experiences with your own um, diet and weight journey. All right. Then lastly, but um, certainly not least, share from your heart, you know, be transparent with your own body image beliefs. And again, any challenges that you may have faced over the years, right? And again, as, as I often say, just normalizing conversations around eating, fitness, healthy lifestyles. All right, so of course, you know, I'm gonna talk a little bit about mass media, um, what we're seeing when we go on social media, the people we follow, particularly celebrities, and how we enter or engage in what we call social comparison. So as we think about this, we know we're going to be using our, our, our phones and our devices and all of these things. We want to, in general, be choosing and using media mindfully. So as I often say, carefully curating what you're following, what you're absorbing, be selective about your media use, and choose media that supports your values and builds self-esteem and body confidence. Um, that may mean, yeah, you follow the trainer, but you might not follow the model. Um, one of the things that the research has shown us is that, you know, majority of the people who we see on TV, they are somewhat of an anomaly, you know, and we're kind of trying to strive to be like these people who just have these body types that are not for the mass to adopt. So that's something really important to, to remember. Um, limiting screen time and social networking. If um, I often say, if you find that when you get on social media, you're leaving that experience feeling depleted, feeling anxious, feeling sad, that's when you know you needed to do a detox. That's when you know you need to kind of streamline who you're following. Um, the research does show that the more time we spend in, in the media world, the more we are exposed to body perfect images. Again, those celebrities that we follow um, and the more vulnerable we are to compare our, our appearance to unrealistic body standards. So it's really important to protect your self-image by monitoring the quantity and the quality of what you're seeing on social media. Body shaming, another very important um, part of this, this talk tonight. So with this, it's really gonna be our responsibility as parents. Um, we have a huge responsibility to teach our children to reject body shaming, right? And really to guide them in the direction of loving themselves and accepting others. And the best way to do that is through you, seeing how you love on yourself, how you value yourself, how, you know, when you quote unquote fall off the bandwagon like Will Smith, recently shared um, about being in the worst shape of his life. What are you doing? How do you sit with that? How do you make those adjustments to get those results that you want? Demonstrating that, inviting them into that. Um, a big piece when it comes to body shaming is we live in a very cruel world and you've just got to prepare your children for that. Sometimes it's gonna be the person at school that's jealous of them in some way. Sometimes it's going to be the random person that you don't even know on social media, but it's a very real thing. And you just need to prepare your child for that by letting them know that that is the world we live in. Speaking up for yourself and others is a big part of the body shaming conversation, right? So maybe it's not you um, or you're talking to your, your child and supporting them as they have a friend that perhaps is dealing with an eating disorder. You know, you're, you're showing them to not only stand up for themselves, but also for others. Um, again, demonstrating a healthy lifestyle, that's, that's sort of like the, the golden ticket. Again, how you deal with self-love, how you manage your own you know, well-being, all of that is part of demonstrating a healthy lifestyle. Teaching them compassion, right? 
again, not so much um, just all about them, but even with other people, like that other people look different from you. We go back to that predisposition before, you know, there are certain genetic things that just make us different, make us unique, make us appear different, you know, uh, aesthetically. That is all normal part of life. We as human beings are all made up differently. And we want to embrace that and also teach our kids to be compassionate about those differences. So if you came to this talk tonight, you know, feeling really defeated, feeling like, man, we've we tried changing our diet. We've tried kind of exercising a little bit. Know that that's not the end of the road, that perhaps pulling from that, that, that village of, you know, the dietitian, family therapist, uh, social worker, et cetera, that recovery is possible. The key though is going to be uh, early detection as well as intervention. And then finally help is available. And again, recovery is possible. All right, thank you so much, Dr. Corey. I, of course, have questions this evening and, um, and I wanna dig in a little deeper. And something that um, kept coming to me as we, we were having this discussion is I was in my imagination thinking about eating disorders and body shaming and over and over again, um, images of, of girls came to mind. Yeah. You know, and, and I was just thinking like, wow, like, you know, there's boys who deal with this as well. How, how would you say that, do you, do you feel that parents disproportionately address these issues with their, their girl children as opposed to their boy children? And how uh, prevalent is it um, amongst boys as well, these, these body shaming and body image issues? Right, well, you saw those numbers earlier um, where yeah. again, over the course of our lifetime, you know, 20, over 20 million men, uh, 20 million women rather, will deal with some type of eating disorder. And then it's cut in half from men, right? So a lot of that right. is just social norms. Um, it's what, you know, mainstream media sort of holds as like, this is the ideal body type. And so you have so many women, girls who, you know, again, it could be something on a psychological level, could be biological, but it creates unrealistic beliefs about what your body should look like. Um, and it also sets you up to kind of strive and, and do and eat and do all of these things in a way that again, aren't realistic. So I think society is, is sort of my answer uh, when it comes to the ideals that we put out on um, whether it be on social media, TV, entertainment for what women should look like. And again, there's a, there's a misalignment there because we're striving or we're telling our young girls to look like very unrealistic body types. For sure. And in and, and terms of that, that specific thing right there, that attraction and trying to be attractive, like usually we're seeking attraction when we're dealing with these types of body issues. How do we teach our children how to define attraction to others so that they're making those healthy choices so that we are not, per, you know, as a society of the next generation continuing to perpetrate these types of issues as we talk about each other's bodies, as we talk about who to date, who to be attracted to, like in this way, like how do we positively talk about the body in this sense? Yeah. Well, I think we also, so one of the things that we have to do is we have to really put front and center what we call self-love. That should be a talk for like as young as infancy, you're talking to, to your baby about self-love. I think also there are examples. I think the first one that came to mind when you were talking was This Is Us, um, is a mm -hmm. great show, uh, family-oriented show where one of the main characters, Kate, um, is obese, she's overweight. And I think in the pilot episode, um, she goes to this sort of uh, meeting for people who are struggling with, with weight and have an eating disorder. Um, and she meets someone uh, who wants to date her right out of the gate. And I think that's a great example to, you know, you're not instilling this false sense of hope that, you know, you can only get one type of person or whatever, but you're, you're making it a norm that there are different types of bodies and people with different types of bodies find people that 
they fall in love with and, and share connection with. So then we have to also set that as a norm that going back to my previous statement of like, here's this, this person, this celebrity that I'm striving to be a, be like, which we have to, again, make clear that's unrealistic. Right. Also okay. Show examples of everyday people who have found love that don't look like those celebrities. So I think we have to just normalize self-love, but also normalize showing our kids examples of other people of varying body types who live a very healthy, normal love life, um, if you will, um, going back to your original point. Sure, for sure, thank you. And so for, for uh, caregivers who are parenting the confident child, a child who you think has zero body insecurities, has zero confidence, how do you approach topics like this with them? Like, what should we make sure for those types of um, uh, conversations, what should we make sure that we cover? Yeah, I think going back to I statements is always going to be great. Um, and again, you may not be observing anything that is, uh, you know, quote unquote, psychologically disruptive or um, you're not seeing some of those features that we talked about, but, you know, as, as you're eating breakfast or you're watching TV or something, you may want to call out things that are topical, that would just be a general conversation, you know, like, you know, what do you think about that girl's bathing suit? You know what I'm saying? Again, you're not doing it in a body shaming way. You really are just like, maybe it was a, a bathing suit that you liked, or maybe your daughter or whoever brought that up and you just... You make it conversational, you know, as I've often talked about in these talks is we're not trying to reach so far out the box that it's, your kids are like, wait, we've never talked about this before. Like, where is it coming from? You're just weaving in very organic things that you're seeing, that you're reading, that you're watching on TV and just making it a topic of conversation. For sure. Um, and also, um, speaking of topics of conversation, um, I was looking at the ages as you were doing your slide and then that age area, that puberty age area, where children are way much, way less likely to talk to their parents. They start to talk to each other. They start to, more than anything, they're on the phone with their friends, they're FaceTiming their friends. Um, how, how do you teach your children to talk to other children about these instances? And I want to pose, um, pose it here that often uh, eating disorders are secrets. And, um, and I know that I, as a teenager, definitely kept a secret about another person's eating disorder from their parents and my parents. You know, it was like everybody kept the secret. And how can we um, influence or teach our children how to behave socially or to speak up socially in that type of situation and, and what to share and when to share? Sure. So I think it's, it's somewhat of a holistic approach. But again, when we talk about tough talks, we're never talking about one singular talk. So mm -hmm. already in those instances, you want to be creating a, an environment of culture where, we, where we're vulnerable and where we're transparent and where we don't hold secrets, right? So I think if we use your particular example, I think it's great in those situations for you to maybe tell your mom or your dad or whoever and have that conversation with them and tell them like, I wanna protect my friend, but I also don't want to see them struggle and I don't wanna see them hurt and go through this by themselves. And, and kind of, you know, let the parents be able to have that conversation, right? Take that weight off your child of trying to like save the day. But again, you wanna instill in them that if you, if something's going on that you feel like could be detrimental to one of your friends, by all means, come and tell me and let me as a parent have that conversation. For sure, for sure. And, um, and also um, you spoke about the whole pandemic and how all of us have been more sedentary for sure. We're sitting down more. We were less active, all of our kids were for an entire year and some months for sure. Um, and so if you have noticed that your children have gained weight, like, you know, or that things are not quite as healthy as they should be right now, how do you approach those topics with your children in a healthy way so that you're not subtly encouraging, you know, eating disorders or being the one who's body shaming your children? Right. Well, my my biggest sort of thing I'm championing right now is the world opened back up today. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've got to get out of the house this summer. Like there's no question about it. After over a, a year, being on the couch in our room, bedrooms closed up, 
you now need a plan for how we're going to get out of the house. And it doesn't okay. necessarily mean, you know, we go on a vacation to the Caribbean for a month. If you can afford to do that, that's great. But you need activities. You need, we're going to go walk around the mall. We're going to go swimming. Um, you know, we're, we're going to go to the park. Like you've got to have a plan because if you don't, you'll look up and the summer will have gone by. So I would say engaging them and, you know, we're going to do, start small. We're going to do two outdoor activities a week. And as I tell people, when you start finding things that you enjoy, then you can build a habit. I'm not suggesting if you know your child is never going to run and that you're never going to run, I'm not suggesting that making the track be a thing that you do every single day. Maybe it is right. something you can do some days to push yourself beyond your comfort zone, but you can find maybe it's bike riding, maybe it's swimming. Maybe it's going on the basketball court. You've got to find some activities to do this summer to get you out of the house. You have to. Yes. Okay. And, you know, I noticed that you said we have to get outside. What you didn't say is we need to lose some weight. Exactly. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So is yeah. it, so in that, um, in that, is that an affirming way to discuss things? Like, should we as parents model that type of language? Absolutely. I think it's completely normal to say, you know, we all, the whole world, put on some extra pounds over this pad. Yeah, okay. normal, normalize it because it's true. I That's don't, right, because it's true. It's so true. I don't know anybody that on some level didn't overeat, um, you know, and are trying to kind of, you know, shed a few pounds. And so I think we have to normalize um, healthy lifestyles, healthy living. And the only way to do that is to have conversations and call certain things out. Like, don't, right. don't pray away. You're not you're not using words like everybody here is fat, you know, and we just, <laughs> right. you know, all families obese now. We've got to like, no, we're, we're not using that kind of language, but you do use language. Like I want us to collectively start making better decisions about what we eat and how often we work out. And here's some ideas I have. I, I want to welcome yours too. What do you think we can do that would be fun for everybody to get outside and get moving? That's right. And then also um, speaking to language and affirmative language, um, compliments, compliments. You know, we we could have as parents, like that list that you shared this evening when we took a so moment of silence, read through some of those indicators. There's a lot there. Um, and it could be very well true that caregivers have been complimenting the body shapes of children who are engaging in some negative behaviors to achieve whatever this is that is garnering these compliments. And it could be compliments from parents. It could be compliments from friends. You Like, I wish I looked like you. You look great in that swimsuit. Like all of these things. So how do we compliment properly yeah. in a way that is affirming, affirming positive behaviors? Right. Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. You've got to be very conscious of how often you're complimenting and even putting a voice to celebrating other people's bodies because that in itself is normalizing oh that's what i should be striving for you know and it could be one of the things i hope people take away from this talk is it could be that you're projecting a lot of your own sort of negative beliefs that you have about your own body onto your child and again we're not here to judge anybody that's right we we're all in working on this absolutely we just we want to use this moment as oh i have been doing that and i want to do better about it so just sort of catching yourself in those moments um but at the same time you want to you know when somebody feels good about themselves or you know their bodies they they love compliments we we as human beings love love that so i'm not saying don't compliment your child or compliment other people but you want to watch the way in which you do that and be conscious not to overdo the compliment or the compliments and praise. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and to the, the conversation ab about uh, therapy and what to do once you see a, that your child is dealing with some of the things that we saw there as indicators. Now you, you brought up a topic, you like briefly, you said, this could be something that you dealt with or that you're currently dealing with yourself as far as like body image issues. So when you are dealing with a situation where there has to be a simultaneous healing, how do you go about that as a parent? When you're like, you're seeing your son or daughter and you're saying like, okay, you're struggling with this. I struggle with this. You might not even been, have been transparent about your struggles with them at that point. 
you know, like where, where do you rest there as far as like coming up with a game plan to tackle this and sometimes tackle it together? Yeah, I think first and foremost, you've got to be transparent, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think on some level, we all adolescent, you dealt with something, right? And so maybe eating wasn't your thing, but there was something that you had to overcome and there's something that produced some resilience in you. And if you can pull from that, then you can connect with your child on whatever they might be dealing with. Um, but I do think I always go back to the village, right? No one's expecting you to have all right. the answers. And I even said earlier, sometimes a prac, your family doctor, they may not have any expertise in bulimia, right? So they're going to be referring you to a dietitian. Um, your dietitian was going to, they're going to run tests, they're going to screen, and they may be like, oh, there's a biological thing going on here, but you won't know that until you take that step to involve that other person into the conversation. So again, I, I say, sure. don't try to go at this alone, but by all means, pull from personal life experiences. Perhaps there's another family member that dealt with or is dealing with some of the, the same struggles mm -hmm. as your child, at letting them have a conversation, but you've got to open it up to the village. Yes, for sure. And then also in opening it up, I, you know, I'm thinking about different perspectives as a parent, as a caregiver, as someone who um, helps develop programs for children in general. There's, there's a need to, when a behavior is happening, there is a, a little bit of a need to get to the why of it. Um, what is, you know, like, why is this? What is um, the effect of questioning their origin of, like, why are you doing this? Right. Why, why would you do this to your body? Why, you know, what is, what does that do? How does that help or not help a situation? The questioning well, of things in that way. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I want parents, guardians listening in to, to know tonight that it is completely normal for you to be worried about your child. If mm -hmm. you're seeing any of those features we talked about earlier, if they're dealing with any of those three, anorexia, bulimia, um, or binge eating, completely normal to be frustrated or worried about them. But what I want to encourage you to do is try your best in those moments to take a, take a pause, breathe, and think about why this is bothering you so much. Is it because you feel like one, like my child is really suffering, which again is a very valid concern, and if that, if that valid suffering um, is, is uh, prevalent in there, that's when you want to consult your village, right? So that's first and foremost. Right. But also be asking yourself, like, is this my own sort of uh, personal idea, beliefs about what we should look like as a family unit? Or, you know, you are, again, projecting onto your kids, you know, you feeling like, you know, I got bullied or I got teased and I want to prove like you've got to check your your motivations for why it is something that you want to get after, because that directs you that that sets up where you can now go, because it could very well be you need to go to therapy. Maybe there was right. and I used the example earlier of sexual trauma that led you to overeat or not eat. And so now right. you've placed that burden on your child and it may not even it may not even be about them so you've got to really check your motivation for why you want to get after whatever this is that you're seeing and that you're observing and then whatever your answer is to that why will set you up for that path that you need to go down and tackle this thing for sure thank you that is very helpful and then um the tough talk the part of the part of the talk is is tough <laughs> like that's just like the blatant truth it's a tough Absolutely. conversation um we as humans have a tendency to avoid things that are difficult we do so in that case like what you know and i ask this question each time what are the ramifications of avoiding conversations like this what happens what happens right it's it's more than likely going to get worse yeah okay. unfortunately um with all of the tough talks that we do whether it's mental health um, where, whether it's eating disorder, um, it's not something you can sweep under the rug um, because in, in hindsight, you'll wish you had done something. Um, I think, again, we kind of live under this illusion 
that, you know, with time, it'll just pass, you know? Um, and like I said, at the very beginning of this talk, yeah, there's a lot of sort of normal things about the way kids eat, but you're looking for patterns, extensive patterns. And when I say extensive, you know, at least 30 days of demonstrating something's going on. If that is the case and you're still like, I just don't have it in me. Like, I don't want my child to hate me or I feel like if I say something, it's gonna make them spiral. If that is the case, then that's okay. You are going to go to someone that can then intervene and, and be able to have those tough talks with you still present. Because again, just because you don't wanna have the conversation or you find it uncomfortable, doesn't mean that you're now free. Um, oftentimes, right. as, as research has shown us, is that um, even if you involved uh, a practitioner or a dietitian or whatever, you still want to be in the room. Now, they may have that initial consult or a conversation without you there, but at some point, because you, again, going back to my point about taking responsibility, you know, developing approach, developing a plan, mm -hmm. that involves more than just your child. You've got to be right. part of this journey because to your point, Keisha, it's a healing journey that's happening, but it's also mm -hmm. possibly a weight loss journey, a self-esteem journey. There's multiple layers to this and your child is going to need your support. Before we part, I want to touch on um, one of the, one of the uh, topics you covered, which was social media, something that we always include, like you said, in every conversation. We are the company that we keep, right? including the, our technological company. <laughs> so that's our Facebook friends and our Instagram and TikTok friends and things like that, right? So that being said, how, um, how as, as caregivers, how much can we curate their existences socially? You know, so that we make sure that they are actually in a realm of influence that is positive and makes sense for their own journey and self-love. And I say that back in the day, we didn't have Instagram or social media. I think the first thing we had in college was MySpace, some, that kind of thing. But my mother definitely did try to choose some of my friends, yeah. like my actual friends, like the in-person ones, <laughs> you know, because of influence and influence matters, especially as we're maturing. So how actively should caregivers engage in monitoring that to ensure that our kids are not being, you know, just shamed without even knowing because of what they're involving themselves in. So again, it's going to be multi-layered. There's no sort of one size fits all um, approach to this, but there's a few things you want to do with your teenagers. I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be really hard to monitor them, right? We know they've got the phones, mm -hmm. they're at school, they're wherever they are. So that's going to be hard. In those instances where you're not seeing who they're following and, and get, seeing the DMs coming in or whatever, that's where the, that background conversation, the conversation on the way to school, the conversation when you, know, you pick up a magazine standing in line at the grocery store, you've got to be having conversations about unrealistic images, photoshopping. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to talk about the realities of you know, what, what makes a person be able to be on the cover of a magazine, right? What are the realities of that? The fact that that person is probably doing two workouts a day or, you know, could possibly be starving themselves and that's not healthy. So you've got, right. again, there's so many layers to this, but if you're not having that sort of broad conversation, because you got to think, we all were given sage advice growing up on a, a myriad of things or whatever. Okay. And you'll hear those voices. You'll hear that little whisper and you'll be like, I know good and well, this person doesn't look like this, you know? Also, <laughs> right. I will say too, that's a really good thing is if your child brings up certain things about, you know, my hair isn't like hers or, you know, I got teased about, you know, this or that, direct the conversation to, well, let's, let's talk about some things that you do like about yourself, right? Because it's okay. so easy in the social media climate to, again, compare yourself to other people, but lose sight of all of your amazing, you know, beautiful, handsome glory that you possess. And so again, we as parents, we have to be doing that for ourselves, demonstrating that. And that could be as simple as like, 
I'm gonna, guys, I'm gonna do a social media detox. Like, I'm just finding that every time I go on social media, I'm seeing this and this and that, and it just doesn't make me feel good about myself. You can have very transparent moments like that with your kid so that, again, you create this environment of like, this is, this is unhealthy. Like I'm finding that, you know, when I get on social media, I don't feel good about myself. So what can I do? Oh yeah, I'm going to delete that app for a little bit. Or, you know what, we're at the dinner table right now, getting ready. I don't need to be scrolling on TikTok. You've got to <laughs> right. normalize all those practices because you can't, and it's unrealistic to believe that you're going to be with your child 24 seven. 100%. And, and the key word, I feel like the common thread, one of the main common threads in all of these conversations is transparency, um, which is honesty, which is integrity. It is hard to tell the 100% truth, especially to your children. They view us in such a way, you know, that these like, these parents, these like, you know, they get everything right. They know everything. Oh, but we know so little about so much. And I think that it's, it's definitely important that we are transparent with them about that and that we're honest with them about that as they deal with learning from us, right. you know, that you're learning from someone who doesn't know it all and that's okay. You know, I know enough to keep you alive, to, to find out the information that you need to know when you need to know it, you know, and like that honest conversation, I think it comes down to that. And I think to another example, you know, because again, we, adults and kids, we do have certain celebrities and personalities and people that we follow. But oftentimes, if you do a little research on that person, they've usually talked about some type of struggle that they have, whether it's with their right. mental health, whether it's with their, their eating or whatever. And pull those examples in like, oh, you like Ariana Grande? Did you know I read? And just make it part of the conversation so that they be like, That's right. oh, she or he dealt with that too? Wait. That makes them that it's not this perfect mind. person that it's all real and we're none of us are these perfect people absolutely absolutely yeah this has been awesome it's been another amazing tough talk thank you dr corey for everything that you offered us tonight at explorers we believe it takes a village and you found one we're never going to stop doing this. It is so important that we all do our part to instill values and self-love and the feeling of community in all the children on this planet, because that's truly what's going to change the game. That's truly what's going to make sure that we are in a better place uh, tomorrow than we are today. So thank you again, Dr. Corey. This is Kisha Edwards-Gansey signing off. I love you, and I hope everyone has a good evening. Remember, you are your child's most influential role model. As they seek to form their individual identities, you influence their attitudes, behavior, values, the way they coexist with others, as well as how they choose to love and honor who they uniquely are. Yes, we know, it's quite the tall order. But guess what? You don't have to do it alone. We're all figuring it out, one day at a time, together. Until next time, live, laugh, go explore.